We're on a mission from God. Wendy? So I got that going. Darling? Looks like I picked the wrong week to quit sniffing blue. Light of my life. We enjoy your films. I am a human being. I thought they smelled bad. On the outside. Welcome to Vintage Video, where we're rewatching the 80s so you don't have to. We're reviewing every major film release of the 1980s in real time. I'm Patrick O'Reilly. I'm Jesse Bayless. And I'm Richard Wells. And today marks the 40th anniversary of the release of Coal Miner's Daughter on March 7th, 1980. It was written by Thomas Rickman, based on Loretta Lynn's autobiography, and directed by Michael Apted, and released by Universal Pictures. Which I know because I work at Universal Pictures, we have posters for the movies that Universal released. And this is the first one where there's a poster in my office. What's that? Your daughter. Not in your office office, well, but it, in it's your, in my the, our suite. It's in your area. Yes. Didn't you say you get to request you, you, a poster you, for you your room? You saw it once. <laughs> I've, I've seen it. I've seen this movie. Uh, uh, yes, I can request a poster, and I will be requesting a poster of the best Universal film, MacGruber, <laughs> to put up in my office. Um, a little making of talk. Uh, Beverly D'Angelo and Sissy Spacek do all of their own singing here. It's amazing. Pretty impressive. Yeah, you know it's interesting. So after, because I'm not super familiar with Loretta Lynn music, sure. and uh, so after the film, I went back and listened to a bunch of her songs on YouTube. Is it pretty spot on? No, I like Sissy Spacek's versions better. Oh man, <laughs> that's rough. You know what, though? I, I think um, Reese Witherspoon's a better singer than June Carter. <laughs> After well, I watched Walk the Line, I was like, oh, this is better than June Carter. Well, I mean, it's probably more processed. Well, that's what I was going to say. I mean, I think that we're, we're, we're looking at it at a different time. You know, what, what, what we like in, in music is not necessarily what was going to be popular in, sure. you know, the 60s and 70s. And it's not... It's definitely not the same sort of, yeah, like you say, processing and... and yeah. And, and I, I felt so. like um, in places, some of her singing sounds like Buddy Holly-esque. Like there's like little hiccups in her lyrics. I don't know if they both do that. Yeah, I think they, they, they both do that. Like she, she definitely, you know, takes takes a note and, and yeah. you know, sort of flips it or... I, yeah. I, don't, I don't know any music terms, so... <laughs> <laughs> Flipping notes. <laughs> Flipping notes. <laughs> Inverting what I'm going to call it. <laughs> Oscillating... Uh, that sounds, so, like sounds? A, that sounds like a term. <laughs> sure. Um, Loretta Lynn was in the audience when Sissy Spacek accepted the Best Actress Oscar for portraying her. Coincidentally, Jake LaMotta was also in the audience that night to see De Niro accept the award for playing him. I think it's interesting um, because I think that now when people do movies that are um you know biographies of people they work really hard on on making accuracy look like that person oh sure so they like they don't even just have to be a good actor and and pull off the the accent or the mannerisms but they really want them to look like them so i think that a lot of recent films that we've gotten they 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 go to great lengths to do extensive makeup to make these people look like them sissy spacek looks Nothing, Nothing like Loretta, like Loretta Lynn. Lynn. But Loretta Lynn picked her specifically for this role. What, I wonder why. Uh, she must have been, just been impressed by something else that Sissy had done at the time. Though Tommy Lee Jones does look a little bit like right. her husband. And her husband was was really mad about 
anyone being cast. Like he was like, I could play the character. Like it doesn't matter. <laughs> it doesn't matter that I'm much older than I need it, to be. But that totally sounds like something the character. Yeah, that's yeah. what the Tommy actual Lee person would do. Would yeah. do. Absolutely. Um, uh, I believe Harrison Ford was also attached. Yeah. At one point to play him, uh, which is funny because it's the fugitive and the criminal <laughs> of the fugitive. Um, which I think that was what he got his Oscar for, right? Tommy Lee Jones got an Oscar for the fugitive. For the fugitive. I think so. Because he was like the leader of the party. Uh, yeah, yeah, but... Uh, I'm pretty sure he got an Oscar for that. I think that's his Oscar. He, I don't think he has another. Unless, did he get one from Men in Black 3? <laughs> I guess that would be a supporting role. Because Brolin does the heavy lifting in the third one. One one Oscar. Wow, for The Fugitive. Yeah. Good pull. And he came back to the character for U.S. Marshals. Right? Yeah, which was a carbon copy of the movie. Yeah. But... Well, it was... But it was from the 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 Marshall's perspective more. Yeah. Where and the fugitive like splits it about fifty fifty. Right, right. And the the second one had uh, Robert Downey as a. Did it really? Yeah. I, I saw it in theaters. I haven't seen it since then. Mm-hmm. I just remember there's a scene where they're shooting at headstones in a cemetery. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, but uh, I should rewatch that because I like Tommy Lee Jones. Um, Jodon Baker passed on the role of Doolittle, oh, which I feel but, like he fits too really yeah, well. Yeah, it's another good casting choice. Um. But yeah, so uh, we start the movie with uh, Loretta basically following her father to a coal mine where he works. Um, and we're, we see the depressing conditions of that line of work. Explosives being set and blown up underground in like contained air spaces and people inhaling all this Cold insanely dust. carcinogenic stuff. It blows my mind that that is the way we did that and it's not too terribly different from the way we do it now which is just it's mind-boggling um we uh, mind boggling uh, (laughs) you're off the show richard all right um new show um doolittle is bragging to a crew of the miners he's not he's not one of the miners here but he's bragging to them and taking bets on whether or not he can drive his jeep up this really steep incline Mm -hmm. nearby um and a bunch of them, including uh, a William Sanderson character, Dollarhide, yeah. um, are throwing all their money at him because they're like, there's no way he's going to get up that hill. But I was so surprised to see him in this movie because... Dollarhide? Yeah. yeah. The Sand- yeah. Or, yeah is that his name? William Sanderson. Yeah, William Sanderson. He, I was like, isn't that the name of the witches? <laughs> but I was like, it is. It's just yeah. the same name. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, so he... Um, you know, he, I, I know him from Deadwood, but he right. basically looks exactly the same as he does, what, 20... <laughs> 30 years later for sure they they had seen this on his on <laughs> right his and they're IMDb like yep or... we're hiring that guy because yeah. he's perfect well, see i always go to uh blade runner for him oh okay as the the kind of like... i never go to blade runner for anybody <laughs> <laughs> maybe rudger hauer i even i feel like i go to, to hobo with a shotgun or, or for rudger the hitchhiker what about, what about daryl hannah splash uh-huh. or kill yeah. bill yeah yeah everybody else is what? In that movie is more famous for something else in my brain. Well, what I, what I liked is that William Sanderson reprised a similar character in the Batman animated series. Oh, interesting. Of, of a guy who's creating robots to replace people. That must have been um, a get for them when they were like, oh man, we got the guy who plays this character in Blade Runner to yeah. play him for our show. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> <laughs> That's cool. He's got a very distinctive voice. He does. It's great. Honestly, I'm, I'm surprised he wasn't a voice in Rango somewhere because... Yeah. It would fit right in with that cast. Yeah. Um, but uh, basically, Dollarhide, after 
seeing Doolittle win all these people's money, he's like, oh, this guy's like a go-getter. I'm going to hire him to to run Moonshine for me. And rob people. Yeah, run Moonshine and steal Moonshine. Um, but apparently they, they have a history that Doolittle has worked for him in the past when he was younger. Um, Even though he looks way older. Yeah. <laughs> he looks I mean, older than this man. But in, in the movie, at this point, uh, he's supposed to be like 24 or something like that. Mm. Um, so some city miles on you. <laughs> yeah. Well, he's supposed to play Doolittle from age 24 to age like 44. So mm. um, they didn't switch actors here. So we get a, an older looking Tommy Lee Jones playing a 24 year old. But um, Dollar High tells him that his choices are moonshine, coal mine, or moving on down the line. Um, and so he basically agrees to work for him, stealing and transporting moonshine. He's, no, he, he does not agree. He doesn't? Well, no, that's because that's, that's the whole thing. It's like, because uh, William Sanderson immediately gets shot. Well, I thought he got shot while they were working together. Is no, because the, the, the guy, at the when he's hauling the body away, says, you know, it's a good thing you turned him down, otherwise you'd be there with him. Oh, okay. Yeah. I For some reason, I thought that the implication was that he lied about having being working with him or something like that. No, I, I think the implication was that he did not take the job. He was not interested. Okay. He didn't want to be a Duke of Hazard. Uh, I, I love uh, Loretta's father in this because he's he just tosses out all these like pearls of wisdom. He's like yeah. easily the most intelligent character in all of this show. Yeah, but it, it shows like how that intelligence gets wasted in these communities in these mines. Like yeah. so many people are throwing their entire lives down into these holes in the ground, mm-hmm. and she just doesn't want to be a part of it. Yeah, but you know when he gets to the top of the the hill in the jeep. He says, well, you know, he did all that work to become the king of the pile of junk. You know, like yeah. it didn't mean anything. Yeah. Um, but I also like when they're when they're going to the store and it says time to give the company back its money. Yeah. Because that's the whole thing about coal mining is like you. They set you, up all the shops in the town. Yeah. So you have to buy all your stuff from the company store. You know, the song you move 16 tons and what do you yeah. get? Uh, you're older. Deeper in debt. That's right. <laughs> uh and so it, you know, you're just getting like this this dynamic. You're essentially an indentured servant, right? Because you know you you barely make enough money to to build that life for yourself. In the meantime, you're squeezing out kids. Your family's and, squeezing out kids. Like and crazy. your life ends at forty. Yeah. Yeah. Because of black long. And uh, most of these these hardships end up in the lyrics of Loretta's songs. Yeah. Throughout the rest of her life. Yeah. Um, at a party or like a fair. Doolittle is hosting an auction of pies, which correspond to the girls that baked the pies. Mm-hmm. It's kind of like uh, the Groundhog Day scene where they're betting on on bachelors. Yeah. Um, and you put in a bid, and then presumably you're buying a date with this girl. But mm-hmm. they're here; they're at least laundering it through baked goods <laughs> <laughs> to make it the less disturbing. To make it less like prostitution. Um, Doolittle shocks the room by bidding on Loretta himself and gets in a bidding war with. Uh, another gentleman in the room who thinks this is cheating, but uh, ends up settling out at five dollars, which yeah. adjusting for inflation is only forty fourteen in nineteen ninety three bucks, which is significantly less than the three hundred and thirty nine eighty eight that Rita bids for Phil Connors. Um, Wait, so why are we adjusting it to nineteen ninety three? Groundhog Day. Okay. Because <laughs> <laughs> I'm dumb and I had time to do math. <laughs> um. She refuses to get in his Jeep after he wins the date, so he ends up having to walk her home. Um, well, they all, they also 
they also really hammer home her ignorance. Right. She's and, uh, terrified of cars in general. But she also mistakes uh, salt for sugar. Mm-hmm. So she has either trouble reading or trouble identifying small white grains. And she's obviously not taste testing any of this as she makes it. Because he's disgusted by it. He tries it. And and she is 13 at this time. 14. Right. Well, well no, she's, she's almost, almost 14. Almost 14. Oh. But he's 23 or 24. Or mm-hmm. no. I think he's 22. She's, he's 22. 22 or 23. Because I looked it up and their age difference is only eight years. Yeah. Like they play it up like it's a much bigger deal. Like it has been in well, previous movies. Well, it is covered. a big deal when you're 14 and he's 22. Not when you're in a coal mining town. I guess. But I'm telling you... That's a big deal. 22 is middle-aged in a coal mining town okay, for a dude. Yes. So nowadays, that's considered rape. <laughs> well, yes. And I also thought it was interesting that they made her 13 going on 14 when she was really 15. Not that that's much of an improvement. Yeah. But that why would, you know, to make it even seem more shocking, I guess, that they made her even younger. Right. In the reality of Loretta Lynn... She was 15 when she when married she, When him. she married him. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Because they'd only known each other for like a month. A when month. They married yeah. And that is the same as true as yeah. well. But they just, for some reason, slid her age down more. I guess because 15 to 22 wasn't enough for an audience to be like, oh, that is an age difference. So they were like, let's make her even creepier younger. Um, but on their second date, uh, he impresses her by getting his Jeep to her house at all. Mm-hmm. Because they live up in the mountains. And... Uh, so she is obligated to hop right in, and they kind of disappear for the rest of the day. Um, her parents are pretty pissed off about it and about the age difference. Oh, actually, it's only six years. They're only six years apart. So it's in the movie, it would be ni- 13 and 19, or 14 and 20. But the, the real-life Doolittle and Loretta were only six years apart. Um, they try to scare her off of him by telling her that you know she's got her whole life ahead of her and she shouldn't be throwing it away on some guy here but he Doolittle comes back and surprises them by asking for their their approval their blessing and neither one of them wants to talk to him really yeah <laughs> uh, he goes in and asks her dad and he's like go ask her mom and then he asks the mom and she's like go ask the dad and hilariously uh Loretta's like answer to this was like wait till they're in bed because then that's the only time at which they're both in the like together in the same right, room yeah. so that you could like and so he literally does like they're both asleep in bed and he barges he comes back into, in the middle of the night just barges into their bedroom <laughs> he's like hey I want to marry your daughter and she's like well I'm assuming that our blessing isn't gonna prevent you from getting married if we don't give it and he said well, no, I'm probably going to do it either way, but I would prefer right. to do it with your blessing. But the dad lays out like two rules. He's yeah. like, you, you, you never, you never hit her, and you don't take her away from me. Right. Um. So and on day one, he rapes her. Spoiler and hits her. alert: <laughs> he does both. <laughs> but also, um, as much as you can be like, well, wait, no, you had a verbal contract with her father. Like, why does that matter at all? Like, what, what say does her father have? In like the conditions of him being like it's her choice that's how that works but also it's like it wasn't a terrible condition the hitting thing but i don't know why her father's trying to doom her into living in this town that seems like a weird thing for him to do he should want her to get an education and leave i mean obviously he wants to see her but and she'll do one of those things yes she will leave she catches him cheating like a day after they got married well, it's a recurring thing yeah. that, like, both in in the film as well as in her songs, 
like che- cheating is just sort of like a thing you have to deal with as right. like a woman as a wife you know and, you and just... for the most part it is the other woman's fault and right not oh his totally fault. totally yeah. and it's just like and it's always about like getting your man back and and you're you know getting rid of the other woman and it's you know not about like you know blaming him or getting retribution or yeah. anything like that <laughs> Yeah, I mean, she, the whole song that she writes later in the movie is "You ain't woman enough to steal my man" or yeah. something like that. It's like <laughs> literally just like, "Hey, lady, stop letting my husband cheat with you." <laughs> but yeah, women, so. am I right? <laughs> <laughs> Seriously. So then, uh, after basically raping her on their wedding day and slapping her around because she didn't is upset want to about be it, raped, yeah. <laughs> Um, then he cheats on her immediately and then tells her, Hey, I'm moving to Washington and I'll send you money when I have it saved up and you can come join me in Washington. So, well, we're kind of skipping over the fact that as soon as she, she's thrown out, right. She goes back home and she's pregnant. Mm-hmm. Like, you know, like the father says, Oh, you're getting fat. And the mom immediately like, goes, Oh God. Ugh. Yeah. And, uh, and when she gets in the car with him here after he's trying to, like, flirt with this other girl, she's like, oh, I just got back from the doctor. And he's like, oh, are you sick? And she's like, yeah, I'm pregnant. And he's, like, happy about it. Yeah. Like, you can tell he's already I like, mean, that oh, was, this is great. That was kind of a sweet moment where he was, like, genuinely pleased by yeah. that fact. And then uh, he does move to Washington. But true to his word, he actually sends money for her to come along. And uh, her dad takes her to the train station and standing at the at the train station on the platform, he basically says to her, "I'm never going to see you again." And she says, "Oh, you, we'll we'll visit. You're going to see me again." And then he says, "Yeah, but you won't be my little girl when I see you again." And then the train pulls up, and she gets on it. And it turns out, over the course of the rest of the movie, this, he's right. She never comes back during his lifetime. Um, I mean, I don't. Is that true that she yes. never sees him again after yeah. that? Because he died pretty, not super long after she left for Washington. Okay. I mean, long enough for her to have four kids. Yeah. That seems but like a while to not have gone back and visited your father. I don't think that people traveled as often at the time. I mean, I suppose it took, people not in that socioeconomic... Yeah, it took him a month to save up the money to, to bring her out that, to Washington fair, with him. Fair. And so, uh, so we cut to Washington where she's already the mother of four children. She was mm-hmm. just pregnant when we left and... We've fast-forwarded four kids, which I'm assuming is four years or five years. Yeah. Like It seems like they're they're in a routine where she's getting pregnant every time she has a kid. She sings, sings a song to some of the kids to help them go to bed. Um, and some of the lyrics involve raising the Titanic. But maybe it'll turn to something that'll raise a Titanic someday. Which is the name of a movie that we will cover later this year called Raise the Titanic. It's been, like we said, four or five years, and uh, they still don't have a phone installed at this house. <laughs> so their neighbor has to run up the yard and says, oh, uh, tell Loretta her mom and dad called to wish you guys a happy anniversary. And this is like Doolittle being like, oh, it's our anniversary. I should uh, I should make a comment to indicate that I remembered that it was our anniversary. Right. And so he goes back into the house and he's like, hey, we got our anniversary coming around. Uh, is there anything you want? And she's like, well, I still don't have a wedding ring. <laughs> And uh, he's like, oh, that's great. Um, and the next day he goes to like a pawn shop to right. get like a crappy wedding ring that's Doesn't like not get personal a wedding at all. Ring. And he's like, these are all really expensive. How much is that guitar? And uh, and then he gives her a guitar, which she does not know how to play and has shown no interest in. But he flatters her by complimenting her voice and saying, oh, you're a really good singer. I'd love to hear you play guitar while you were singing. You could, 
you could learn how to play this thing. And she does. Over the course of like the next couple months, she plays the guitar around the kids and slowly teaches herself how to perform these songs and then do little kind of ropes her into a surprise performance at a local honky tonk. Well, it seems like it. So, but but he set it up as like a date. He's like, we got one of the right. babysitters, you know. Like this is something that the, clearly they never do. So right. He's he tricks like, her into it. Right. So it's supposed to be this special evening where he's gonna like take her out on the town. And they get there, and then he forces her to go up on stage and play. And it's so left field that when he first brings it up, he says, I was thinking maybe we go out to a honky-tonk on Friday. And she's like, together? It's like, no, no separately, or like one of us would go. <laughs> it's like, of course we would go together. Um, and so they hire a babysitter, presumably, and they go to this place. And uh, then she finds out she's like on the playlist to perform that night. Yeah. Um, because Doolittle thinks that she's gotten good enough that she could perform a song that she wrote in front of people on stage and she kind of has a panic attack because she was tricked into this right but Um, she does it she does fine but before that she like runs and hides in the bathroom and he has to go talk her into it (laughs) i love the moment when the lady like peeks over above the stall after he's like verbally abusing her telling her she's gotta go out there and play (laughs) he's like are you so are you so dang stupid and uh she's like i am not stupid i'm ignorant (laughs) And I, I just love that she makes that distinction multiple times. She's yeah. like, I can figure things out. I just don't know them yet. Yeah. I don't think that this scene is, I don't, I don't think that the scene is accurate to the way it happened in real life. Cause it seemed a little bit more gradual. Uh, Cause uh, the Wikipedia page about her said that she started a band with her brother. And, and oh, so, interesting. Yeah. So that none of that was in the movie. Yeah. Yeah. None of the Conway Twitty stuff was in there either. Yeah. Uh, they, they gloss over a lot. Um, I don't know because obviously I haven't I haven't read this autobiography. I tried to find it. I couldn't I couldn't get an audiobook in time for this, and I don't have time to read this whole autobiography <laughs> per per episode of the podcast. But um, it seems like this story, and maybe the autobiography reads this way, takes all of the credit for her entire career and gives it to him. That other than a natural inclination for being able to sing or to write songs that became popular. He did all of the work of getting her career off the ground, and he had to drag her kicking and screaming into her own career. I mean, it does it does feel that way the way the movie plays. I don't yeah. I don't know how the book plays. And maybe that was the case, but it just so much of it felt like it was taking all the credit away from her and giving it to him. I know that she claims that, like, I mean, she fully admits that they they had problems along the way. Sure, um, you know that they they had their fights and they you know and, and he wasn't always faithful. But like she just she still says that he was her life. Right, but here like she didn't even want the guitar, and then she had the guitar. She didn't want to perform in front of people, and he just said like basically I'm going to force you to do it against your will. So just but, go do it. But then he works his ass off with those records. Yeah, he does. Getting, a, like, every, but that's not to say he didn't do all the work. He yeah. did, but but to say that I'm like, not saying he doesn't deserve any credit. I'm saying she probably deserves some. And this movie takes away anything that could be given to her as credit for her career. Like except she even, except this talent, this natural mm, talent. Yeah, that she, she has, has the ability to sing, but he had to literally like throw her on stage in front of people to get her to perform. After the honky tonk performance goes pretty well, it seems like people like the show. He books her at like a recording studio. And again, she doesn't seem very interested in being there. She plays part of a song and then do a little belt, basically tells her to stop down for a second because he wants to have a conversation with her. Because he's realizing she sings better when she has an audience that she cares about and she's in this like 
sterile recording booth and she's not getting the performance well that she's he nervous wants. and i right. think this is the, but, so, so he puts the kids in there and he says just sing to these kids sing yeah. to them like you're at home sing to these so kids. he wants he wants her to relax and just feel natural right and she starts to sing the song again no noticeable difference in her performance <laughs> but for some reason the guy in the booth is like hold on i'm gonna get all the best guitarists i know because that woman is singing her rear end off mm-hmm. and uh gets a whole like really competent band behind her and they perform this whole song that she's written and get a record from it. And Doolittle uh, takes her picture at home, tells her not to put on any makeup. And he takes her picture and, and includes like it as a headshot with copies of this record and sends it to every radio station in the country. See, that must have been crazy. Like, I mean, to, to go and make all those copies of photos and records yeah. and then mail the, those big envelopes out. Like at that time, that must have been a very very hard expensive yeah, it's process. a huge investment that you're making and hoping that it will pay like, off that's not a casual endeavor that he absolutely went through there so uh then the neighbor runs up across the yard again uh because they still refuse to get a phone and says hey you got some some bad news from home but uh this time he's telling loretta not Doolittle. and when she first sees him coming across the yard he looks like her father dressed in all of his like gear from the mine but um, but then he turns back into her neighbor and mm-hmm. he says, you got to call your mom in Kentucky. Something happened and uh, her father has passed away. Um, so they go back to to their home and uh, they have the funeral for him. And uh, she goes to cry by his grave. And Tommy Lee Jones feels like super guilty about having taken her away from her dad, mm-hmm. which is a thing that he promised him he wouldn't do. And some of the other guys are like, no, 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 you're right to get her out of here like she didn't have a life here it would have been terrible and he's like they're like oh, it's all over now and he's like no it's not over nothing is over it's like she's never gonna forgive me for this i took her away and killed her dad basically but he drives a tractor up to where he's buried in these like these tall trees well i think he was clearing the yeah, trees out he, of the way he basically he says time, he made it easier for her to get yeah, up there next, next time, time it'll be easier but then he also says hey you know where there's a lot of radio stations that play our kind of music is right here in Kentucky. We could go to those radio stations in person and make sure they're playing your songs. And your mom said she'd watch the kids. But I need you to commit to this career 100% right now. Because if you can't do that, then we're wasting our time. And she says that she wants it more than anything. And so they hit the road. Um, and it's kind it's- of a cute montage of them on the yeah. road. Though, for me, this seems a little bit crazy because they seem like they're out on the road for a very long time. It's like, a big chunk of the movie. Yeah, there's, it's a huge chunk of the movie, which means they aren't with their kids this entire time. Right, yeah. Which just seems kind of mind-blowing to me that, they, that they're that just like, oh, we left them with your mom. Uh, she gets to raise them now. Yeah, there's a few signs in this movie that, that they're kind of negligent as parents. And it, it seems weird that this came across with their complete approval i mean it's a different time period i guess but like the fact that she doesn't know like she can't tell her kids apart mm. later on in the movie yeah because she, she has twins later she just calls she them know. twins because yeah. she doesn't know like what their names are it's like just say both names if you can't tell them apart but um she just says hey twins come on down they're like my name's not twin but um and she named them but uh so they go to all these different radio stations the first one they go to they're like hey uh, we sent you a record. Have you had a chance to play it? And he's like, oh, yeah, I played it and just sort of laid there. And they're like, uh, that's funny because it's right here and it's still sealed. 
so you didn't play it and you're a liar and you're a jerk and he's like, can you get out of the booth? Because I got, I'm, I'm going to be live in a going second. going off on and, him. And Tommy Lee Jones just kind of like pushes her in further yeah, and then runs away. He knows like, he's like, this is where her instinct takes over and I don't have to worry about this anymore. And he's like, well, can you get her out of here? This is going to be a problem if she's still here when the mic comes on. And he's like, look, man, you're going to have to deal with her. Uh, she's probably going to be here all day <laughs> because of what you just did. And he's like, okay, fine. I'm just going to interview you on the radio then. And he does, and he and he plays the song, um, which is really all they wanted. But uh, he says her name wrong, uh, mm-hmm. but she corrects him. I, and I couldn't tell if that was on air or not when she corrects him to say because he calls well, her well, like because Tommy Lee Jones he hears, hears it from it the first car and goes hey, and then she yeah. corrects and it then, as well. But I can't tell if she's actually saying that on air or if now the song is playing and she's correcting him too late. Well, Tommy Lee Jones heard it outside on the radio. He heard the wrong name. Correct. But I'm saying he doesn't know if the correction she tries to air. correct him. She says, it's Loretta. It's Loretta Lynn, not Lorraine. Loretta. Uh-huh. And he says, okay, Loretta. But I don't know if they said those two lines on air or not. I would say yes, because they're on the air. Also, it doesn't matter. No. Let's move on. <laughs> no, you're missing my point. Hold on. I want to make this clear. Okay. He already started the song. So the mics could have been off when she says, my name's Loretta. And he says, oh, okay, Loretta. Oh, my God, you guys. That's what I'm saying. Um, I, I don't get... think they're on the air when she corrects it. I, I disagree. <laughs> All right. We're going to go back to the footage and see if that on-air light is on. <laughs> There's no indication in the film of whether or not they're on the air. <laughs> because, no, what I'm saying... No, I'm just kidding. I'm just kidding. <laughs> His face is so red right now with rage. Uh, but, yeah. Uh, so, uh, <laughs> uh, they pull over at a store and he makes some joke about her being horny or someone being horny and she's never heard the word before. Oh yeah. She says baloney makes you, he says baloney makes you horny and she doesn't know what that means. Yeah. And the shopkeeper is just, just like, like looking shocked yeah. and they leave and he never explains it to her. Yeah. But then when she's in the radio booth, she's talking to the DJ and, uh, says something about how they're on the road all the time and he gets horny all the time. And, and whenever he gets horny, I'm like, spread me up one of them bologna sandwiches. <laughs> and they were like, cut, cut, cut. And they like turn off the mics and they're right, the dressing them down the studio owner hallway. thinks he's going to like lose his FCC license over yeah. this whole ordeal. And she's like, I didn't know what it meant. And he's like, I'm off that dumb hillbilly act. Thank you, dude. That's my favorite line in the movie, I think, is like, it's not an act. Thank you, Thank do. you. <laughs> she's like so flattered. He's like, no, no, no. She's really ignorant. Um, but then on their way out, the host that she was talking to on the air says, don't worry about that guy. He's just, he's the manager of the place. But as long as you're on the charts, they're going to play your music. Because he threatened to like never play her song again. Mm. Right. But they and, don't, and they're they like, don't what understand. Do you, yeah. So how do we get the on the charts? charts? And he's like. It's not an act. You really like, don't know. You you're, are you're on number the fourteen nationwide. Shows them this newspaper where they're on the chart. Yeah, and then they just start cracking up because it's like what could have been a terrible day for them turned into really great news. And then he basically drives her that night straight to the Grand Ole Opry because he's like, "Oh, we're number fourteen. I could probably get you a slot uh, in this weekend's Grand Ole Opry show." Yeah. So I've never seen the Grand Ole Opry like I imagined it to be some like grand theater type thing That's some it beautiful yeah. it's it looked like a it looked like a high school like it looked no. like a big brick high school well they they shoot it from a weird angle on the street just so that you can see the sign that says Grand Ole Opry but it's a huge building it's a massive performance center okay um, it just didn't look that grand to me <laughs> yeah well that's fair 
but yeah, so Loretta is invited to perform uh, in the show, uh, despite the fact that when she was talking to the, the DJ, he was like, oh, you want to play the Grand Ole Opry? Oh, well, you're going to have to put in your dues for years and years. And so now she's super nervous about it. She's like, I didn't put in my dues. I'm just, I put in one due. It was like, well, I didn't pay my dues to be here. It's like, well, we'll pay them later. Yeah. So she performs on the show and it's a hit. Um, Doolittle is next door trying to watch it on a TV because uh, we need something to do while she's performing these songs. And inevitably it's following Doolittle away from the performance mm-hmm. to do something else. Um, because I guess they didn't think that the song was enough for an audience to be watching. Um, so every time she goes to sing a song, we watch Tommy Lee Jones walk away and then see what he's doing somewhere else. Um, in this case, it's picking a fight with a guy who is making fun of him for not being the breadwinner, even though he does almost, if not all, of the work for right. her being in any position to sing here. And they get into a big fist fight. Then we just cut to after the performance. She's She's been invited to come back. Doolittle's got like a fat lip from the fight. Mm-hmm. And, uh, and he tells her she was great and uh, lies about how he hurt himself. She's invited back to multiple times, I guess. She, she performs for for 20 something days uh, right right on, on the on the lineup for the grand Ole opry but she takes a break to do a private event like a uh for patsy klein who just got in a car accident right um her husband actually meets her at the opry and says hey um patsy heard you sing her song and uh she would love to meet you and uh so she's like oh are you patsy klein wants to meet me that's incredible, and uh, and she goes and meets her at the hospital where she's all bandaged up. Um, and I, I did like the line where she turns to her husband. She's like, "Did you bring me that beer?" And her husband's like, "Right here, I got it in my jacket pocket." Because I'm assuming the hospital is like, "No, she can't have alcohol." Yeah. I like that she then's like, "Get me my straw. It's in the top drawer." So it's just yeah. like clearly she's done this before, and she keeps straws on hand for yeah. this purpose. <laughs> um, here, Loretta's a little bit. She's nervous uh, because she just sang Patsy Cline's song on the radio, yeah, and she's, she's like, worried. She "You're not mad at me for singing your song, are you?" And she's like. No, I'm just worried that people think you sang it better than I do, which is crazy because Patsy Cline is an incredible singer <laughs> and Beverly D'Angelo is an incredible singer. Um, and uh, I every time they play a Patsy Cline song in this movie, I'm like, oh, this is a really good song. And every time they play a Loretta Lone song in this movie, I'm like, meh, I could take it or leave it. I feel like the lyrics in the Loretta songs are not good in almost all of them. Well, they're very simplistic. But they also, and, like, they're kind of clunky. They don't flow really nicely. Yeah. Like, Patsy Cline's lyrics are very, like, romantic and poetic, and they flow nicely from one line to the next. And Loretta's are kind of, like, clunky. I don't know. I don't know how better to put that. Um, but uh, but they become, like, best friends, basically. Um, Patsy and uh, and Loretta here. The subject of many a, a story. Yeah. Including, I think there's one, uh, like, an Amy or lifetime movie coming out about their oh, friendship currently yeah. getting worked on yeah something re- pretty recent interesting um but yeah uh while they're on tour together uh because patsy invites her on tour and they're on the bus all the time uh Doolittle catches um loretta wearing makeup again at patsy's suggestion presumably and tells her not to do that um but loretta is getting a little bit of courage from patsy to talk back to Doolittle and say, well, no, it's my career and I can do what I want. And uh, 
he shouts at her and they get in kind of a screaming match and asserts himself to the point that even Patsy is afraid to like speak up at this point on the bus. Yeah, I mean, he's definitely feeling threatened here as right. the man because she's obviously the her one. Her career has gotten to a, a cruise control point. Right, and well, and she's the one supporting both of them and that's right. definitely emasculating for him. Sure. And there's nothing he can do now to prevent her from making the money. Like, he was doing all the work before, but it's like she doesn't need that engine going anymore. He could just stop. And she goes and does her performance. When she finishes, she finds him, like, basically drunk in a car with a, with another mm-hmm. woman. And uh, she, uh, this is par for the course for her, so she just opens the door and she's like, give me my husband back. He's like, hold on, let me grab my parrots, sweetie. Because <laughs> he's just got a big bag of, like, a bunch of parrots that presumably he won at, like, a fair game or something. Right, right. Let me get my parrots, baby. And then she goes back to the car to get the hat um, that Doolittle left on the girl in the back seat because, like, she cares so little about this person that she might as well have just been, like, a hat rack. Mm-hmm. She's just like, whatever, give me my hat back. We're going to go. And this is when she sits down in the tour bus and writes that you're not woman enough to, to take my man song in the car and he's like what gave you the idea for that song she's like what do you think (laughs) uh later in another parking lot Doolittle like gets really really angry and actually starts hitting her for wearing makeup and they're together with patsy and a couple other people right everyone gets in the way loretta's able to actually like smash his hand with something or hurts him um, but they get away from him. Everyone gets in the car except for Doolittle, and they kind of strand him in this parking lot. I think she actually breaks his finger. Yeah. I, I don't remember how she did that. I think she, smack, I would, she was kind of smacking him with her bag, like yeah. her yeah. purse. But she's at her hotel or wherever they're staying for the night when he walks in because he had to walk from whatever parking lot they were in. Um, and he basically tells her, hey, I shouldn't be, uh, I shouldn't be doing this anymore. <laughs> like, uh, I don't need to be on this tour with you. And uh, it's obviously causing problems. And he basically is stepping away from managing her career and is saying, there's other people here that can do this better than me. He's going to step back and just kind of be a stay-at-home dad, basically. Mm-hmm. And so we do get little glimpses of him with all the kids driving around. And I mean, I don't know if he's totally a stay-at-home dad. Because he did say he wanted to go just be like a truck driver or something. A mechanic. Yeah, yeah he, gets a, mechan- he, he oh, gets yeah, a mechanic Oh, yeah, he got a mechanic job. job. That's yeah. right. Cause, but he still has a lot of time with the kids now right, compared right, right. to what he was getting before. Yeah, right. Which um, was none, because yes, they just left exactly. their children with their mother. But she's home with him one night, and uh, in the morning, the radio says that Patsy Cline has unfortunately passed away in a plane crash. Yeah. Uh, Which is like a nutty thing, because they didn't know where the plane was. Oh, really? Like, they, they knew the plane had crashed, but they weren't sure where, and a bunch of looters found it first and stole a whole bunch of her stuff, and it... They, it took a while to recover oh, some man. of it. They wow. had to track it down, but they so there are some th- some things that have never been recovered. That's crazy. Uh, same thing happened to Carol Lombard, I think, when she oh, crashed yes. into Las yeah. Vegas. They they never recovered some crazy ring or something that she had on. I think that was uh, an episode of um, You Must Remember This that goes into that whole story. For as big a part as Patsy played in this story, there's really not... They don't dwell on this for very long. Uh, Lorena gets up to make a phone call. And kind of collapses. But before before the before Patsy died, we have a scene though of her at Patsy's house, and she admits that she's pregnant again. So, so you know she seems kind of bummed about it. I think uh, maybe because she said she's been having babies since she was fourteen. Yeah. <laughs> and so you know it's been it's been a while because she had those you know four kids all in a row, and now she's got 
as we find out later, twins uh, on the way. Um, Is she considering an abortion at this point? I don't know if that was the implication, but Patsy like quickly is just like, oh no, this is great, this is wonderful, I have all these maternity clothes for you. So it's, yeah. it seemed like she was just being like super amazing and supportive and it's just like, yeah, I'm your friend, we're gonna get through this, this is all good, don't worry about it. You know, and, th- and then we cut straight to... Right. She's like, this will get died. you through five months and you can wear this on stage and, and then we see the next morning, yeah. She decides when she finds out that they are twins that she's going to name one of them after Patsy. Um, what were that? Patsy and Peggy were the mm-hmm. two? Who is there a Peggy yeah. in this? or? Yeah, Peggy, I think, is her sister. Oh, okay. From here, the movie is a little aimless. Um, yeah. We, we just kind of get bits and pieces of Loretta having a hard time on the road. Uh, she's forgetting lyrics to songs. Maybe they're new songs that she doesn't quite have down and they're making her perform them right away or maybe she's intoxicated like i wasn't clear on that well she's been taking medication for headaches right and we're not sure how this medication might be affecting her or if she's just been on the road for so long that she's and she doesn't have do fighting for her yeah and the and the the lyrics are all just starting to blend together in her head yeah she keeps turning back to the band and they're giving her like a few words to like coach her into the the verse and then she gets that and then she turns around she's like all right what's the next part like i need i need more and fans are getting kind of crazed at this point they're like grabbing at her hair as she's coming off stage and things like that not just grabbing at him one fan grabs it and like cuts a piece off yeah as she's going to the bus so she wakes up at some point in uh in her tour bus and she's calling for due because she needs his help because she can't work the little like the reel to reel to get right, the lyrics is, down right, it's for the her next, song. It's the reel of her song, and she was told to learn it. And she doesn't know how long she's been asleep, so she's like worried that she's like already missing her show. And she starts freaking out. And when she gets outside, she finds Dew, and he tells her everything's okay, and he walks her up to the stage. And well, the stage manager's like, "Oh, you're here early. You know, you still got ten minutes." And you know, it just goes to show you how like how horrible the schedule is. That like seeing her ten minutes early is super unusual. Yeah. Uh, but the other the opening act is is still on the stage, so she still had ten minutes before she was supposed to go on. But she just starts walking right out there, like, yeah. "Nope, I, I, if I've got to do that." Like she she tried to get dude to tell him like, "I can't do this." Like she's like, "I'm done. I can't do this." you got it you got to tell them and And i think the implication is basically that her career is being mismanaged by these people who have stepped in to take dues place i guess they're just working her too hard because i she didn't have any of these problems when doolittle was in charge of her career at least or it just mounted to the point that it just was you know she wasn't taking care of herself well enough maybe but either way, you know, he doesn't step in to protect her in this place. And she's like, no, no, fine. I'm going to go out and going to do this. And she goes out and then has a heart to heart with the audience. <laughs> yeah. Instead of going into a song, she just like tells them a speech about how much she loves Doolittle and how things are difficult right now. And she basically collapses off stage into his arms, basically. Like he's he's walking through the audience up to the stage as she's talking about him. And she passes out and he catches her and they walk her out of the building. Then we cut to a house that he started building on a hillside, mm-hmm. and uh, and he tells her this is going to be the bedroom, and she's like, "No, it's not. You should have talked to me about this earlier. You didn't say anything." Well, and, and and this is despite the fact that they have not only a massive house but a huge amount of property in a ranch. Right, and she's like now multiple times has been referred to as the first lady of country music, mm-hmm. which I guess was her nickname at the time, which it like in itself is 
dismissive of her like like calling her the first lady of country music implies that Doolittle is the president of country music? No, I think somebody else would be another country music singer would be the president. Oh, okay. It just seemed like like it's just another way of referring to her with like a spouse nickname instead of just calling her Well, it's the American equivalent of being the queen. Yeah, but I just but, feel like just call her the queen of country music. Like you called Elvis Presley the king before this. Because this is America. <laughs> but Elvis Presley was from America. He wasn't the president of rock and roll. <laughs> she had other nicknames that were just as dismissive. <laughs> what were the other nicknames? Well, I mean, she was the honky-tonk girl. Sure. And uh, she was... Dishwasher con- Sally. Country's mu- country music's first girl singer. <laughs> <laughs> Beautiful qualifier in the middle there. <laughs> the second in command of guitars. She, and... This list of, of her nicknames does include the queen of country music. Okay, good. Uh, but she was also the Decca doll. I don't even know what that Decca means. Decca was a, a record label. Oh, okay. Well, she's the Decca doll and then the blue country girl. Interesting. Or not blue country, blue Kentucky girl. Blue Kentucky. Okay. But yeah, they're arguing over the house because it, the argument devolves into like, okay, fine, we won't build the house. I'm sorry. And she's like, no, no, no. I just don't want the, the bedroom here. It needs to be on the other side because when the sun comes up, it'll be in my face. There's no point to this scene. I guess it's supposed to be like them coming to an agreement about their relationship. Is that you make these decisions and you just tell me this is the way it is and never include me. I want, I agree with you, but I want to be included in the decision making process. Which I think is kind of interesting because it's at odds with the fact that she's you know in 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 this relationship the the power the power dynamic seems seems to shift back and forth between them where it's just like well she's the breadwinner and everything hinges on her career the entire life that they have hinges on her career but at the same time dude just totally dismisses her all the time yes and and uh, before this i don't remember another scene where she was upset about a decision that he made without her like, this is the first time that they have that kind of an Except argument. Except that he forces her to learn the guitar and to play at a country bar and to... So she's mad that he started her country music career. Well, he didn't tell her any of these things. He just did them. That's the argument. He's she Like he said, she didn't disagree, okay. but she wasn't consulted. He just does things. Okay. I'll take that. Um, and that's about it. That's the end of this film. Yeah, pretty much. Is there anything I'm missing here? No, I mean that, that's that's pretty pretty much the whole thing. A uh, anticlimactic. <laughs> uh, most autobiographies are, unless the person dies in a hellacious ball of fire. The problem is that when a person survives to watch the Oscar be handed to the person playing them, it's going to be inherently a less interesting story because it's just like, yeah. what what is the story here? It's it's a a girl that was poor played songs and became rich and the most traumatic thing that happens over the course of the movie aside from her father dying which happens to everybody at some point is a friend of hers dying which we don't dwell on for well, more than like a scene and a half and her husband was kind of shitty but at the same time made her career so yeah and for the time that's a that's like a you know he's a top 10 percent husband he's in the top 10 percentile i would say right for no that, for that we'll, time we'll, period no we'll let you marry him Tommy Lee Jones. This was directed by Michael Apted. That name sounds familiar. Uh, I'm not going to come up with any of them. No. Don't. Um, <laughs> what I always think of is the Seven Up series. Yes, thank you. That yeah. was that is exactly what I was thinking of. Um, yep. Which 63 Up just came out 
Um, but uh, he also directed Nell, Gorillas in the Mist. Yeah. Apparently, he directed a James Bond film, which I didn't realize, but he directed The World is Not Enough. And also uh, Voyage of the Dawn Treader, which is one of the Chronicles of Narnia movies. Right. This was written by Thomas Rickman, who had adapted Tuesdays with Maury into the 1999 TV movie with Jack Lemmon. Uh, I didn't know there was a TV movie out of that. I think that's the only version that I know of. Yeah, I think I think that's if if you've heard of a Tuesdays with Maury, it might even no, be no, no. I, I I mean, I didn't know there was or, any film version of that. I, oh, I guess okay. Is what I'm saying. I I read the book. I didn't. I I would totally watch a movie. I didn't even know there was a book. What? I honestly just knew the Jack Lemmon one because we had it at the blockbuster that we worked at. Oh. Yeah, I, I knew it was a book, and I'm pretty sure that I also knew that this was the only adaptation that's been done. No. Was it uh, any good? I have not seen it. Oh. <laughs> um. The autobiography that the script is based on was obviously written by Loretta Lynn. Oh, well, actually, it was written by Loretta Lynn and uh, George Vexy, which he didn't have any other credits, so I don't know who he was. I don't remember a George in this story that would have co-written unless he's just the ghostwriter for her autobiography that she like told her story and then he wrote the book. She obviously has a lot of soundtrack credits because she's Loretta Lynn. Um, and she was Loretta Wentworth in an episode of Fantasy Island. <laughs> Sissy Spacek as Loretta Lynn. Uh, obviously, uh, she won an Oscar for this. Um, she was in Badlands. Carrie. Probably, Carrie's probably the biggest yeah. one. Yeah. I didn't know her from anything but Carrie. Um, Three Women, which is a really great movie. A Robert Altman movie with Shelley Duvall. Uh, she also plays the mom in Hot Rod opposite Ian McShane. Oh, yes. Yeah. She does. I forgot about <laughs> She's that. She's so great in that movie. Uh, Tommy Lee Jones here is Doolittle Lynn. Apparently his his feature film debut was in Love Story, where he played like a roommate or something like that. He was in JFK, uh, The Fugitive, Batman Forever, and probably Men in Black is like one of the first things I think of for him, even though that's not his Oscar role. And also No Country for Old Men. Yeah. Amazing. Um, And William Sanderson, we said before, Deadwood, Blade Runner. Um, He was in Last Man Standing, which I think is, Is I was going to say, not Peckinpah. Oh, <laughs> the, the western with Bruce Willis. I, I uh, uh, yes, I but I, for some reason I went to the uh, the Tim TV, show. <laughs> TV show. I was like, really? He was on that. He's a he's also a uh, another True Blood alum. Oh, is he on there too? Yeah, along with Lois Smith. That oh, we cool. just We just had. That's awesome. Uh, and then Beverly D'Angelo, obviously uh, Patsy Cline, mostly known as Ellen Griswold, I would say. Right. Um, she was also. Barbara Miller in 25 episodes of Entourage, who is like Ari Gold's mentor and a competing agent in the Mm. Hollywood scene. And she does the voice of Lurleen Lumpkin on The Simpsons, (laughs) which is obviously a a direct reference to this film. Actually, I, I re-looked at the Wikipedia page, and there's not a lot in common, with the exception of Homer basically forcing her career to get started, mm. like taking her to record an album and seeing that it gets played places. Aside from that, like it was it was never a part of this story that she was trying to sleep with her manager who was married to another woman. So really the 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 similarities end with Homer having convinced her to record a record yeah 
Um, but the Wikipedia page does say that the, the entire episode is a reference to Coal Miner's Daughter, which is coincidentally the only episode that was written by Matt Groening himself. Hmm. Uh, like, by himself, not written with anyone else. Yeah. I think it's important to call out the editor as well, Arthur Schmidt. Oh, okay. Uh, because, uh, like, he's, you know, he's, he's a huge Zemeckis guy, so, you know, he's, yeah. he's, his, he won an Oscar for Forrest Gump and for Roger Rabbit. Uh, he did all the Back to the Future movies. He did a Pirates of the Caribbean movie, uh, The Rocketeer. Uh, so he's he's got a lot of a lot of things under credit, editing credits under his belt. Yeah, that's awesome. I uh, missed that because we mentioned that she won an Oscar, but it was also nominated for Best Picture, uh, nominated for screenplay, cinematography, set direction, best sound, and nominated for editing. Yeah. Uh, so it it was a very well received critically. Yeah. Film. Uh, especially for how early in the year it came out yeah um, march is not the award season at all yeah that, that, that this movie has such an impact that people remembered it to the voting days sure yeah i mean in i mean i suppose because so that in in the 80s were the oscars at the same time of year so like in theory the yeah. oscar season is the same season as it is now pretty much yeah it would be like september to december because i know that the summer blockbuster thing wasn't necessarily a thing until well i guess that's maybe started happening like around mid-70s, jaws yeah yeah sometime around there so i just want to like get the right context for the time of year that things are coming out up or down jess uh i i don't think it's necessary to watch richard i give this film an up uh i it it was slow and predictable and and just but i i I enjoyed it okay um i'm gonna give it a down also just because i mean it's a competently made film i think the cast does everything they're supposed to and i think michael apted did a great job directing but there's there's not much of a story here i don't know what people read in the autobiography that made them think this needs to be a movie because i just didn't i don't feel like there was there was much to her story i totally agree and it's i I don't think that it's 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 a bad i don't think it's a bad movie at all i i think that a lot of things about it are great i just don't think it's particularly interesting what i do think is kind of interesting though is this is one of the only times i feel that uh that rural poor are represented like really accurately in film like mm-hmm. i don't i don't think that you kind of get this glimpse of of what the you know life of somebody living in i mean where are we i mean butcher holler yeah <laughs> i love holler as the name of like an area where you <laughs> yeah. live it's so much cooler than like town or like anything holler is just yeah. my favorite of all. you need to watch justified is what you need I, I got, watched Justified. I, I got really excited when the camera was panning during the montage of the map of Kentucky and it passed by Harlan. I was like, hey, yeah, Harlan. Harlan County. Where does uh, where does this land for you on Letterboxd? Uh, so I think I put it... Oh, this is tough. I think I put it... Oh, I don't know. <laughs> this, is <hard. laughs> this is really hard. It's going to get harder It just keeps getting harder yeah. every week. Um, because... Because the movies that are all right, that aren't bad but aren't great, are all just sort of grouping together right now. And so there's very little distinction. And it's really hard to decide when the movies are very different. You know, because I'm looking right now at, um, you know, like Last Married Couple in America, Foxes, and Hero at Large, and trying to put it somewhere in there. And those movies are all 
very, very different. It's right in between Last Married Couple and Foxes for me. That's that's kind of where I'm leaning towards. Um, yeah, I think that's I think that's where I put it. Under Last Married Couple and above Foxes. Yep. That's the exact same for me. Yeah. Uh, mine is also next to Foxes, but it is uh, below Foxes. Okay. Uh, and above American Gigolo. All right. Yeah, I think uh, we all felt kind of the same way about this. Although I, th- I think Richard's thumbs up starts lower than ours does on the <laughs> on his list. But yeah, I think that's about it for this one. Uh, if you guys have any thoughts you'd like to share with us, we are Vintage Video Pod on Twitter, Facebook, Instagram, and Letterboxd. Or as I've said before, you can find each of our full movie rankings for the year. We can also be found at VintageVideoPodcast.com. Please consider rating us on iTunes to help people find the show. And if you take the time to leave us a review, we will thank you personally in an upcoming episode. On that note, special thanks are in order for Critty Robinson, who left us our first iTunes review. Critty was a listener back in our MacGyver days and has continued to enjoy the show. I hope we haven't screwed it up yet. If anyone else is interested in a shout out on the show, if you leave your review between now and the end of the month, we'll shout you out in our first April episode. If you're feeling especially generous, you can also support the show through patreon.com slash vintage video podcast. Thank you so much for listening, and I hope you'll join us next time when we will be discussing Death Ship, which IMDb describes as a mysterious ghostly freighter rams and sinks a modern-day cruise ship whose survivors climb aboard the freighter and discover that it is a World War II Nazi torture vessel. Spoiler alert. We leave you now with the trailer for Death Ship. Death Ship. It came out of the night. Searching. Signal him to all the course. We have, sir. Well, signal him again, damn it. Striking. Bringing terror in its wake. Killing all but a few. Saving them for the hell. Aboard the death ship. This old ship seems to have a life of its own. Not so bad. We're out of the water. It's a nice day, huh? We can clear this mess up, play a little shuffleboard, get a tan. Death ship, where evil lives in an endless nightmare. where those who survive are better off dead. Death Ship, your holiday in hell.